Welcome to another sermon podcast from All Souls Anglican Church, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Thanks for joining us as we study God's Word together. These weekly sermons are part of the teaching ministry of our church. Have your Bible ready as we begin this week's sermon. And stay tuned when we finish at the end to find out more about us. Well, good afternoon. It's great to be here with you this afternoon. Uh, I am Henry Baldwin. This is H1 and this is H2 here. And uh, I am the archdeacon for this area, which actually means that my job is to be a cheerleader. I go around and cheer for our rectors and pray for them, and I pray for the churches, and I pray for you as well. And I would solicit your prayers for a new church plant that we've just got started in Souderton, PA. That's uh, St. Peter's Anglican. It's being led by Deacon Phil Shade. And last Sunday was their first service, so they are off and running. So in your prayers, please uh, hold up St. Peter's. Well, all right. Um, I've given you a handout here, uh, which you may wish to have with you as you go through that, lest you lose your ball in the weeds as we go through here. And the thing about this set of texts is rather peculiar, isn't it? But I think if you look, there's actually a common theme that runs through all these texts. In Numbers, right, we have Joshua, who is the servant of Moses, and he says, stop him, boss, this guy's not doing our thing. And Moses has a very interesting reply, doesn't he? And then today in, in the James epistle, we read this, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But who are you to judge your brother? And then we got the New Testament text, right? And that's a real curveball. So what are we going to make about all this? Well, Reverend Henry tells me that he's very proud of you that you guys actually open your Bibles when it's sermon time. So let me invite you to do that and go to page 845 in the Pew Bible. Mark 9, verse 38. Let's look at that text again. Mark 9, verse 38, page 845. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will soon be able afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. Well, under the assumptions of our present form of government. Jesus' live and let live attitude seems to fall right in the popular sentiment, doesn't it? It seems to be perfect to fit in with enlightened secularism. I mean, what could be more broad-minded? So maybe we could just yawn and move on. And as they say in Britain, nothing to see here. 
But you know, somewhere in the back of my mind, I hear this thing. Do you remember it? It's from Matthew's gospel. It's Jesus' scorching response to the Pharisees. This is what Jesus says in Matthew's gospel. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And I want to say, oh, master, which is it? Is it just live and let live? Or set out our opponent's differences from us with blazing clarity? Jesus, do you always have to make things so difficult? Well, sometimes, yes. <laughs> so let's take a closer look here at the gospel from Mark. The first thing I'd like to do is examine the larger context of Mark chapter 9. Because when you come to Mark chapter 9, these are the last words of Jesus' Galilean ministry. Throughout his whole Galilean ministry, Jesus has been making two proclamations. You remember what they were? Repent and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As Jesus was gathering together his disciples, he had been teaching them about the nature of the kingdom of God. And immediately following our text for the day, Jesus will go on to Judea and then to his final ascent up to Jerusalem, chapter 10, verse 1. So that's the larger context of what we read this morning, afternoon. The larger context, Jesus is finishing up his teaching on the nature of the kingdom. So whatever it is that Jesus is teaching here, it is somehow related about how we ought to think about the kingdom of God. Now let's look at the more immediate context. Look back at chapter 9, verse 33. Chapter 9, verse 33. And they, disciples, came to Capernaum, and when Jesus was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Get the picture, right? Here, Jesus has been pouring out his heart, explaining that he's about to go and die on the cross. And what are these guys doing? They're arguing about who's the greatest. Jesus sits them down and says, Look, guys, you still don't understand about the nature of the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, if your goal is to be first, it's guaranteed you'll end up being last. And then to further illustrate his point, he takes this little child and he puts him in his arms and he says, look at it this way. The kingdom of God is a lot simpler than you make it out to be. When one recognizes the kingdom and one welcomes the when one welcomes those who belong to the kingdom with childlike faith, Jesus says, then you're recognizing and welcoming me. And when you recognize and welcome me, you are welcoming and receiving all the infinite power and complexity of the Father himself. Humility and simplicity. That's the near context for what we're reading. So that brings us to the text. Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop it because 
He was not following us. Okay, let's stop for a minute, okay? Why is Peter telling us this story? Right? Because Peter's voice is the voice behind Mark's gospel. Now, all the things that Peter might have told us, and we would really like to know, but he doesn't tell us, why is he telling us this story? And anytime you read the Gospels, that's always a great question to ask. Because they knew lots more than they wrote. So why this story? Well, I think Peter is saying, John and I had the wrong end of the stick. See, we imagined that it was our job to preserve the kingdom and to bring it about. And in forbidding the exorcist's ministry, we were speaking as if the kingdom of God needed our puny little defense to keep it safe. And I think Peter would add, pretty cheeky on our part, huh? Well, in this passage, Jesus is still teaching the disciples and us about the nature of the kingdom. Now, to make his words plain, he adds this little parable. Anybody that recognizes that you bear the name of Christ and extends grace to you because of it will find rewards in the coming kingdom. So what's Jesus' point? The kingdom of God is quite a bit broader than we imagine it to be. So, I'd like to suggest this afternoon that the application of this passage is this. Don't criticize others working in the name of Christ, even though they don't look like us. Because God is totally able to get his own servants sorted out. Okay, let's think through scripture for a minute. Does another master of zealous intolerance come to mind? Yeah, right? Saul of Tarsus. The picture that we have of him in Acts, both before and after his conversion, is a man burning to get it right and to make sure that everybody else does as well. Think about how savagely he ravaged the church at one point. And that wasn't because he was mean, but because he was convinced the church was an heir. It was in his nature. It was in his training. It was the way his spirit glowed white hot. But these soft words of Jesus, I think they're more transformative than we might think. What other words do you think had the power to change a zealously intolerant Paul? Paul was transformed from the intolerant student who refused to take his teacher, Gamaliel's tolerant advice, whose advice, if you recall, in Acts was simply, just let it be. 
It'll sort itself out. Paul didn't take that advice, but ultimately he got transformed into the man who wrote these words, Romans 14.4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. I suspect that Jesus' teaching in this passage in Mark 9 lies behind at least part of Paul's transformation. Don't imagine that you or I have the power to bring about the kingdom. Simply receive the kingdom and others with childlike simplicity. Isn't that beautiful? It's so simple. So why don't we just sing Kumbaya and we'll call it an afternoon. Well, let's look at the rest of the context, shall we? Verses 42 through 48. Be at peace with others working in Jesus' name, but look at these terrible words. Verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. What? But wait, there's more. Jesus isn't finished. How bad is it to cause others to sin or to sin yourself? Listen to this metaphor. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one hand or one foot or one eye than to be thrown into hell. Whoa. This sin against others or ourselves is so horrific that only eternal punishment in hell is appropriate for it. Look at verse 48. In the New English Bible it says, There their worm never dies, and their fire is never quenched. Whew. We seem to have left tolerance a long way back on the pike here. Well, what then are we going to make of this passage and of its larger and near contexts. I suggest for you four walkaways from today's text. Here's the first one. Henry Baldwin, the kingdom of God hasn't just lain around for centuries, breathlessly waiting for you to take your place in the kingdom. Yes, God can use you, but when the sums are done, you will discover that the ones that you least imagined are the very ones that God has used in the greatest way. Two, if others are doing a work empowered by the Holy Spirit, whether we think it's our shtick or not, God can sort it out. Paul says the Father most certainly will get them on the right path. Our place is not to criticize, it's just to be patient. Three, 
Don't imagine, however, that God is lax in his judgment because sin is a deadly, serious business. To teach falsely or with the effect of leading others away from the truth is a capital offense fit for the fires of hell. And four, the goal is peace among the churches of God. The immediate passage began in verse 38 with the disciples wrangling about who's the greatest. But then it closes with verse 50, which we didn't read. Look at the next thing, right at the end. Here's Jesus' closing remarks. Have salt in yourselves. That is, you be pure yourself and be at peace with one another. The goal of the kingdom of disciple is both purity and peace with others in the church. So, I don't know what you think, but I think this is a pretty good little homily. The problem is, you see, I was raised Baptist. (laughs) And I puzzle, how does one find a place of both purity and peace? In the tradition I came from, that I was raised in, everything was whole cloth. I remember sitting where you're sitting, on Sunday evenings, reciting the creed of our church. And it included everything from the Trinitarian nature of God to the divinity of Jesus to the character of baptism and to a promise never to drink or smoke. It was either all of it, or I was just a backslider and probably not even a real Christian. So I've long pondered on this question. How can a church be both pure and at peace with others in the kingdom of God. So I'd like to share with you a little illustration that's on the inside of this handout, okay? Now, at this point, the homily is over, and I'm sharing you my opinion. Here's my opinion. But I'm doing so because the word of God ought to be practical for us as well as informative. You know, despite what many people think, from its earliest days, the church existed in a pluralistic environment. And it was diverse. It was spread all across a vast Roman Empire and embraced a number of languages and cultures. And yet, as St. Vincent observed, there was a core of beliefs held by all in the midst of the diversity. And hence the question has always been in the church, well, how do we know who's in and who's out? The theological answer to that question is, those who possess the Holy Spirit, they are the children of God. Pretty simple. Problem is, you see, nobody has invented the Holy Spirit meter yet. I go to those church supply catalogs, and I look for that thing. Where is the Holy Spirit meter in here? It just doesn't exist. We must rely on the integrity of one another's confession. That is, 
a submission to the creeds as the objective test of membership in the body of Christ. For 1,600 years, the boundary of the church has been set at the boundary of the Nicene and Apostles' Creed. To confess those creeds in sincerity is to publicly claim to be in God's church. And for those who confess the Nicene Creed in sincerity, we are obligated to presume them as brothers and hence treat them with brotherly love. Now, that does not mean that we don't exhort a rebuke, but we always do so in brotherly love, as a brother or sister in Christ. Now, within the providence of God, there are also lesser boundaries, as you can see from this little illustration. There are boundaries of Anglicanism, Why are we Anglicans here today and not Presbyterians? There are boundaries within Anglicanism, which is within God's wider church. Then there are also boundaries of our own diocese and even boundaries and preferences for our own particular parish. Now, these boundaries exist for the sake of good order so that every Sunday at the deck plate level, Every Sunday at the deck plate level, everything isn't just chaos. Could you imagine how hard it would be if every Sunday you came through that door and you have to go, okay, now what do we believe? Um, What are we going to do for the service? Uh, Obviously, we can't do that. Those in other places in our church, in God's whole church, are servants of the one master. And they will stand or fall under their own master's judgment. Well, I realize this doesn't answer all the questions, but where on the basis of the confession of the creed we can presume another to be a brother or a sister, then I suggest that we ought to proceed with humility and gentleness and generosity of judgment. For these are Jesus' last words in his Galilean classroom. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about us by going to our website, allsoulsnj.org. There, you can support our mission by making a one-time donation or starting a podcast member subscription by clicking the Support the Show link under the Contact Us tab. You can also support us in prayer by clicking the Email Newsletter tab at the top. All Souls Anglican Church. Simple church, ancient truth, real people, new life.